Hi, my name is Brittany. When my birth parents found out they were pregnant with me, they weren't sure what to do and they were unprepared. They had a lot of people giving them advice and felt really confused. They went into an abortion clinic and when they were there just said that something didn't feel right and they left. Meanwhile, my adoptive parents had been waiting and waiting and when my mom was young, that was her dream, was to become a mom. And she found out at a young age that that wasn't going to happen in the way she thought. And so they chose adoption, but that took four tries and it didn't work out any of those times and they felt really discouraged. But they decided to give it one more try and I'm so glad they did because now I have a family and a place to call home. And I feel so blessed because none of that was my doing. That all happened before I was even born. And I feel like that shows how God treats us. When he looks at us, he sees someone that's completely his, someone that he saved and took into his family. And I'm so thankful that he calls us his. My name is Dennis Zachary. Freeburg. Zachary means remembered by God. My story is about Jesus. My mom picked me up from the hospital. And I became the food bug. I like everybody in my house who loves me. And Jesus, he likes to die on the cross to save us. I'm so glad Jesus saved me and my family. My name is Junior Will Hoskins. When I was little, I live in a house in China. There was lots of little babies. Uh, Sometimes I felt lonely, I felt sad. There was two little take care of me in China. One time, um, a lady take me to a place um, to, to see my mom and my dad. Um, I didn't know there was my mommy and daddy. I was a little bit scared and shy. We come home to my new house and, and I got to meet my brothers and my sister. Now I have a family. Now I feel happy, I feel love. I just love my family so much. Now I know Jesus too. Hi, my name is Maiden. I was born in Haiti. Hi, my name is Jonah. I was born in Haiti. My parents wanted me to have a better life and have a better home and have more food. They sent us to the crash so me and my little brother so we could so we could be adopted. When my adopted parents came to the crash, I didn't want them to leave. It means a lot and I'm very thankful because I don't have to live in a place in a small house and where I have where I'm going bare feet everywhere. In Haiti, we didn't have very much. And now, when I'm with my mom and dad, I have everything I need. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the life you gave me right now, and I couldn't have a better one. Thank you, Jesus, for letting us get adopted. stuff, huh? Again, special welcome if you are a guest with us this morning. We're so glad that you came to spend some of your weekend here with us. And uh, as Matt said earlier, you could not have picked a better week to join us. Uh, we are not saying that you are going to fall madly in love with Mission Point Community Church, but we at least know that you will get some sense of what Mission Point Community Church has fallen madly in love with. Um, Jesus has rescued us and has invited us into his family at a great cost to himself. And uh, he's now inviting us to partner with him in making a real difference in the lives of millions and millions and millions of kids around the world. And we could not be more thrilled to be saying yes to that. 140 million. 140 million. That's the number of orphans who are all over the world. 140 million. That's the number of kids who do not have a home or a family to claim as their own. 140 million. That's the number of kids who are unclaimed, uh, who are in many ways uncared for. Uh, that's the number of kids, just like our kids in our kids' wing, just like the kids who just walked out of this room, who don't have anyone to say to them, I promise to protect you, and I promise to provide for you. 140 million. Uh, with that number of kids, you could, by the way, fill the state of Indiana 21 times over and over again. That's nearing half the population of this country, 140 million. Um, in the United States, there are 428,000 um, kids in the foster care system, uh, 112,000 of those kids waiting to be adopted. Uh, there are about 30,000 kids in the foster care system in Indiana alone. So I don't think it should come as a surprise to anybody when this is referred to as a crisis, as the global orphan crisis. Because for many of us, these may just be numbers, but for the 140 million kids, this is the daunting reality that they wake up to every single day, wondering if they wake up to it again the next day. It's a crisis. 
which makes it somewhat surprising that we would get up here and say it's Orphan Sunday and we are celebrating Orphan Sunday and we're excited and thrilled about Orphan Sunday. Sounds a little bit morbid. Why on earth would we be celebrating a crisis? And I just want to make abundantly clear that what we are celebrating this morning is not the crisis. What we are celebrating this morning, this morning is the fact that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is calling us to be the solution to this crisis. What we are celebrating is being convinced that we are the difference and that together we can play a part in changing the trajectory and the lives of literally millions of kids around the world. And that's what we want to talk about this morning because that's a daunting reality. That's a daunting number. But what we want to see is that we are not called necessarily to do everything, but we are all called to do something. And when all those somethings together start to set ripples into effect, they turn into tsunamis of hope and home for millions of kids around the world. And I love the thought that right here, Warsaw, Indiana, that we have the power and the ability to make a difference in the lives of millions and millions and millions across the world. That's what God is inviting us into. And uh, nowhere, by the way, do I think it's made more clear uh, than a verse that if you've grown up in the church, you've maybe heard before. Um, and if you've never heard it, I'm actually happy for you because you don't have an opportunity to try and read into it and try and excuse it away the way I did because it is so clear what God says in this verse. Look up on the screen what it says. This is James uh, chapter 1, the first part of verse 27, and it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. Um, I went to seminary, and I learned a number of fancy words, and I learned a fraction of a, you know, a couple of biblical languages, and I tried to pull those all together to try and tear this apart and make it mean something different to, to, to vindicate me from my responsibility, but it means what it sounds like it means. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And what this verse is saying is whatever version of religion you subscribe to, whatever version of Christianity you hold on to, if it does not include deliberately going after and caring for the orphan, the vulnerable child, then God calls that version of religion phony. He calls that version of religion not legit. If we are not doing something, listen, our church could have standing room only and the best music on the planet, and it could have, you know, cute sermons or whatever the case is, but if we are not going after the orphan and the vulnerable to make a difference in their reality, if we're not doing something to obliterate the 140 million number, then God looks at our church and he looks at our religion and he says, I don't know what that is. 
but it's not the genuine article. And we obviously know this, and we've heard this even from the kids, because the genuine article is one in which God sent his son to come after orphans so that at great cost to himself, he could include us in his family. It should not surprise us that our dad now says to us, go get those who don't have home, those who don't have hope, and include them, because that's what I did for you. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of a church. I want to be part of a movement that God looks down on and says, now y'all look so much like me. I want to be part of a movement that God looks down and says, now, now that's genuine. When he's bragging on us to his, you know, wannabe rivals in the heavenly realms, would love for him to point at us and say, now that is legit religion. Because when he looks at us, he sees a movement that's all in on what it means to make a difference for the orphan. Now, let's just take a moment to keep it real and be honest, because 140 million, though, that is a daunting and overwhelming number um, to talk about. That seems a little insurmountable. Um, where do we even begin? Where do we even start with something that overwhelming? And as I was thinking um, about this, in fact, we were, a number of us were at a, an orphan care conference a number of weekends ago, and I, I was thinking about this uh, very thing, the magnitude of the crisis, and the phrase that kept jumping to my mind, uh, the one I want to share with you, the one that struck me was this simple phrase um, that it felt like the Lord was whispering, and the phrase was this one, step into your scene. Step into your scene. 140 million, though. Now, uh, the reason this was so important to me, uh, the reason this, this, this phrase um, struck a chord with me was because um, I'm the kind of person who suffers from a little bit of grandiosity, you know, um, if I'm going to share in this safe space with all of you um, friends and family. Um, but I'm the kind of person who, who lives like this. If I don't believe that I can do something brilliantly, I'm not going to do it at all. Because otherwise I run the risk of messing it up or failing, and so why even take the risk of trying to do something that I may not be good at? If I don't think that I can entirely fix a problem, then I tend to avoid it. If I don't think that I can absolutely solve this major massive obstacle, I'm going to just... Walk around the obstacle, avoid the obstacle altogether. If I don't think that I can be the, the, the solver, if I don't think that I can be the hero in the story to some degree or another, then I would just stay out of the story. Why start working on a problem if I don't think that I can fix the problem in its entirety? Which is why this phrase meant a lot to me personally. Because in this phrase, it's almost as if God was saying to me, hey, Kondo, um, a, get over yourself. 
I have not called you to fix the problem. I have called you to play your part. I have not called you to be the superstar and the superhero in the story. That role is already taken and well played out by Jesus Christ himself. I'm just calling you to step into your scene. Listen, I am scripting a story that is so much bigger than you. I am directing a story of redemption that is cosmic in its scope. I don't need you to fix everything. I'm just inviting you to play your part, to step into your scene. And that was so important for me to be reminded of because for years and years and years, I heard about the orphan crisis. And my response was always like, that is too big. What am I going to do? I don't think like I can make a difference really. Am I going to put a dent in 140 million you know, child crisis? No. So I'm going to just stay out of it. And God's invitation is, I'm not calling you to do it all. I'm not calling you to do everything. I'm just calling you to do your Something, And that's what I believe he would say to each of us who claim to be his kids in the house this morning. And as I thought about that reality, and as I thought about that story, the most obscure, dare I say, depressing verse came to mind. And you can feel free to turn there. It's just one verse. We're going to have it up on the screen here in a second. Um, but this, this verse is, is it's interesting. It's a verse about Moses' parents. You know Moses, like Charlton Heston, you know, uh, you know, let my people go, Prince of Egypt, that guy, Moses. Um, it, is a, it is a verse about his parents, which I found so fascinating and borderline depressing. By the way, how many of you um, in the room could name Moses' parents? Just a quick show of hands without Googling it. Okay, but you call yourselves Christians, right? <laughs> Just to be clear. Um, I had no idea what Moses' parents' names were, so I Googled them so I can feel better than all of you, which I do right now. So thank you so much um, for that. But you know, the real answer to that question, who are Moses' parents, is who cares? They're not famous. <laughs> what did they do? Um, it's, Moses is the star in the story. Moses is the hero in the story. Moses is the one who helped to liberate millions of enslaved Israelites. Moses is the one who books were written about and sermons were preached about. He's the one who did the late night talk show circuit. Moses is the famous one. Who cares about his parents? Turns out, heaven does. And I know this because of this obscure verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. This is a trip. By the way, Hebrews chapter 11, um, this is God's who's who of Christians. This is God's like top 40 list. This is God's like who's legit in their faith list when it comes to Christianity. Hebrews chapter 11. This is... The list of lives lived well. Top 40, and you looky who shows up at number 23. Okay, verse 23, and I was shocked too, but look at this. By faith, Moses' parents, doesn't even name them, but Moses' parents, they hid him, Moses, for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. No child is, by the way. And they were not afraid of the king's 
edict. Um, okay, so again, quick backstory. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt um, for close to 350 years by that point. Um, they were being brutally treated, but no matter how brutally their overlords treated them, one thing remained true. The Israelites continued to grow in strength. The Israelites continued to grow in number, which freaked out the Egyptians. And so in a response to their thriving, um, the king of Egypt made a brutal edict. He said, it is now law that you execute Every baby boy born to an Israelite woman, lest they grow and get out of hand and the ones we're trying to enslave end up outnumbering us. And so he inked this absolutely brutal edict, and that's exactly what happened. You can imagine the sound of mourning rising through the nation as kids were ripped from their moms and they were executed. Talk about a crisis. And then Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 introduces us to Moses' parents and it takes us back into that context um, and tells us that Moses' parents made a decision and they said, we don't think so, not on our watch. And so for three months, they protected their vulnerable child from the claws of this dangerous situation. For three months, they risked their safety and their comfort to create safety and comfort for this targeted child. For three months, it says, they hid this boy. They loved on this boy. For three months, like 90-ish days, 12-ish weeks, I was reminded of that obscure and slightly depressing verse, and it stirred me in a way I pray the Holy Spirit will use it to stir you as well. Because I noticed a number of things, which I'm sure some of you noticed as well, but let's re-notice them together um, from this verse alone. The first thing that struck me was like, wait a minute, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. Three months. This verse says three months. Someone say three months. Yeah, that's, 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 that's precisely what this verse says. That's biblical, what you guys are saying. See, I thought, I thought, true story, I thought that if I'm going to make an indelible mark on our world, I thought if I'm going to make a real and lasting difference, I have to do something for at least 10 years. 30 years if I'm really, really spiritual. Verse 23, Hebrews chapter 11 says that they hid him for how long? Three months. And it occurred to me, hang on a second, if three months was enough to get on heaven's radar and make it in the hall of faith, then maybe it's a lie that I have to spend years and years and years and years and years doing something before it can make a difference. Maybe it's not true that I have to spend years and years and years and years and years investing into the orphan crisis before the ripples of my decision start to make a difference. It says three months. 
That is so stirring for me. If God is directing the story and we step into our scenes, it doesn't take long for a difference to start to be made. And for some of us, the places God will call us to step into, some of us, the places we've stepped into this orphan crisis has just been months at a time. And yet, it's set into effect ripples that have even reached heaven itself. Step into your scene. Three months. If some of us chose to give, Three months' worth of our cable bill to a family that's in the process of adopting or family that is hiding kids in foster care in their home, so to speak. The difference that in and of itself would make. If a family decided we're going to take a vulnerable kid into our home as an exchange student for three months, if a family decided we're going to take a kid into our home while they have a medical procedure just for a few months, the difference that has the power to make. If some of us decided we're going to help the vulnerable kids in our school system by being mentors to them just for a semester, amazing that it doesn't take long. And for some of us, I think we've been living in this place where I have to be in something for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And, years. and I love the simplicity of three months. And if we had time to talk about the Duels and, and the Hoskins and the Hoovers, families who've hosted kids in their home for short periods of time, and the difference that's made, I think we'd be encouraged to know we can step into our scene. And for some of us, the scene may be short stints at a time. And I also notice in this verse that it apparently doesn't take much. I don't know if anyone else noticed how little it took for Moses' unnamed parents to get into heaven's sphere of applause. It just says they hid him. It's interesting. It doesn't say that they had a sword fight with Pharaoh and, and his minions. It, it doesn't say anything about that, you know, taking chariot, you know, chariots out or building a sanctuary for thousands of the vulnerable kids in that day and age. It just says they cared for one boy by hiding him in their home. What an encouragement to me. Because God is not looking for us to do everything. He's just looking for us to do something. See, I thought I had to adopt to make a difference in the orphan crisis. No, no, I thought that, you know, I had to start an orphanage. I thought I had to go overseas and live there for at least 20 years to make a difference in the orphan crisis. I thought I had to fight the government. And yet God just calls us to do our something, to step into our scene. And it's not always these grand gestures. It's not always this, I solved the big problem. It's often about simple steps. It's often about the college student who said, we are going to mow. And we are going to do some snow removal for a family who just brought a kid home. That's it. Yeah, but you 
set a little more wind under their sails for them to care for these kids, which is setting into effect these ripples that are moving into the crisis. Wait a minute. You just, yeah, we just, we, we just went and helped with some simple things at their home. Our family, you know, we ended up getting licensed, not so we could, you know, have foster placements in our home, but we did it so that uh, we could support families who are doing that. And so every now and then we'll have kids overnight so the family can get a little bit of a refresher. Well, we simply volunteered at Hither and Yon so we could help send vulnerable kids to school in Zambia. Well, that's it. That's what we did. And I love for the day when many of us will run into the ripples of what those simple actions have started. We just committed to sending cards. Anytime we knew a family was in waiting, a family was in waiting, we just started sending cards and sending them verses and encouraging them to hang on. Some of us will be called to adopt. Many of us may be called to support families by just holding their weary arms up. And some of us will be called to do simpler things. But I love the fact that it doesn't take much to start stepping in to what God calls us to be a part of. Moses' parents would not have been heroes in their day for what they did. Um, why this verse starts to get a little bit depressing and yet hopeful is the fact that I also notice that it doesn't get fixed. It doesn't get fixed. Did anyone else think about the fact that after three months, of Moses' parents hiding one boy, the crisis in Egypt was not fixed. There were still thousands of kids who died in Egypt, and yet heaven did not hold Moses' parents responsible for the crisis. It applauded them for stepping into their scene and playing their part, even if their part didn't fix the whole problem. I love that Brooke Friedberg is not going to fix the foster care system, but heaven is bragging about her. I, I love the fact that there's still orphans in China, but heaven is bragging about the part that the Hoskins put. They're not fixing the whole crisis. The burgers haven't finished the work in Haiti. We know because we're still working on this. It didn't fix the whole thing, but... Heaven still said, watch what those ripples begin to do. The tailors aren't going to fix everything in the CAR, but, but what they are doing to bring medical relief and to save the lives of children is unbelievable. What Kirsten Criswell, a single lady, is doing by, you know, applying for a foster care license. Like, what are you doing? Ripples. It's not going to fix the whole thing, but it's going to make a difference, and it's going to start into motion, this tsunami of hope and home for kids. The crisis will be changed by people who know heaven's not calling us to fix it, but to do something about it. We may not fix the whole thing, Mission Point, but that is not the question heaven's going to ask us. It's going to ask us, did we step into our scenes, and did we play our part? And the last thing that struck me from this story is it never gets wasted, apparently. 
Did anyone else think about, just again, the depressing part of this story? Um, Because history suggests that by the time Moses came back to Egypt to liberate the captive Israelites, his parents were dead. How depressing is that? Which means mom and dad never got to see the fruit of their labor. They never got to see what those three months actually ended up amounting. It's just three months. They never even got a glimpse of the fact that what they did in that three-month window set into effect these ripples that ended up turning into a tsunami that ended up splitting a Red Sea and ended up liberating millions and millions and millions of Israelites because of months. They never even got to see it. But none of their pain was wasted. Brooke, none of their pain was wasted. Duels, none of their pain was wasted. Smiths, none of the pain was wasted. Mission Point, everything they played a part in doing ended up bringing about the freedom for millions and millions and millions of people. Church, we're not going to do everything, and we may never see the effects of the small things that we do, but what I do know is every step we take into our scene, heaven takes note of, and a tsunami is set into effect that starts to dent and wage war on this number and wage love on these kids. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of a movement like that. In fact, I want to be known in heaven, and frankly, I want to be known on earth as a church that joined God in his heartbeat for the orphan, and they did their part, and they stepped into their scene, and long after they were gone, that number was all of a sudden much, much different because they stepped into their scene. I want you guys to meet a number of people from our own church Um, who've stepped into their scene and they've played their part. And then we want to take a moment, even as we wrap, to just answer the question, are we willing to step into our scene? Are we willing to play our part? So meet some of your Mission Point folks and just listen to some of the ways God has been working in and through them. My name is Drew. And I'm Stephanie. We've been part of the Mission Point family for a little over a year, and we have three boys, Jaden, who's six, Rehan, four, and Bennett, who's two. So our adoption journey began even before we met. Both of us um, had a desire to adopt, and we didn't really know what that meant or what that looked like. But when we started dating, that was something we both brought to the table as an interest. We got married, and it came time to grow our family. We started exploring options and ended up adopting Jaden from Ethiopia in 2013. We had just moved to Winona Lake and so just a couple months after we moved here he came to be a part of our family and uh, it was awesome and he changed our world. Uh, Then a couple years later Bennett came along kind of as an unexpected blessing. The Lord surprised us by um, actually bringing a biological son into our family, which we hadn't, um, we didn't know was a possibility. Actually, we still had a strong desire to adopt, and 
wanted to continue to add to our family in that way. That desire never diminished even after having a biological child. We began at the beginning of this year filling out paperwork. Even Jaden became part of that conversation. It became a family decision and, and he talked about um, desiring to have uh, someone in the family who looked like him. We completed the paperwork to do that again and that same week we're contacted by a birth mom to um, adopt Rehan, which just happened about a month ago. So it has been an incredible blessing. Three miracles um, knitted together in three different mama's wombs. We're just amazed of God's story and how he has created our family and how he's in the business of creating families. Hi, we're uh, Ben and Brooke Friedberg, and we've been going to Mission Point for about, about five years now. We have four kids. We have Grace, Avery, Nate, and Dennis. The thing that started me thinking about foster care and really what stuck with me is just something little. It's just reading the news. And so you read any headline, say, oh, these four people were arrested, or someone got in an accident, or there's this other event with these adults, and then a byline at the bottom of it is, and there were minor children. That sentence means that, and there are some more children into the foster system, either permanently or temporarily, but those are people whose parents aren't available anymore. Our first placement was Dennis, the child we actually ended up adopting. When they were telling us about Dennis, they said, hey, listen, we have this baby, he's not mobile yet, but he's got some breathing issues, can you take him in? And we were like getting ready and preparing our house for that child. When Dennis came in, um, he was basically the baby equivalent of Speedy Gonzalez, uh, <laughs> scooting all over the house. He uh, immediately came in, knocked over a plant, and first thing he did, crawled all over the house. And so we had, you know, learned how to baby-proof again. He was 15 pounds and 15 months old. So he had a myriad of health issues and it was tough for me to watch him go through that. Like I cried a lot with him because it was tough for me to watch him suffer. When he first came to us, he could only have one ounce of formula. And so he was failure to thrive yet he couldn't keep food in his body and he couldn't take more than one ounce. And then one night as I was praying over him, the Lord specifically healed him. And after that point, he could take five ounces. And it was amazing. Everyone was in awe that something had happened in his body that could now allow him to take five ounces. And it was just right on the spot. And I mean, you're close to the Lord when you're doing foster care because you depend on him for every little thing. I mean, you're praying over those little things, those big things, like, please help this baby to grow. Yeah. So I've seen, we've seen a lot of miracles, for sure, with Dennis. I would say that foster care has easily been the most difficult and the most rewarding thing that we've ever done with our lives. So the boys being a part of our family has been a wonderful blessing, and um, but it, but an even greater blessing has been a fuller understanding of the gospel. Each of their adoptions, we've learned more about God's adoption of us as sons and daughters, um, that we are brothers with Christ, that we share in his inheritance. The Bible screams love. When I think of 1 John 3, that how great is the Father's love for us. 
that we should be called children of God. And then that we love because he first loved us. And so that understanding of God's great love for me and for us and wanting to align my desires and my heart for God's heartbeat. And I see that he has such a heartbeat for the fatherless. It just compels us to want to love others in the way that I've so lavishly been shown love. Um, I've had, oh, like 20 people over the years come up to me and say, well, I could never do that because I could never let a child go. And um, I would just say that, um, yes, you can. And you're braver than you think. And you can hurt. You, you don't have to be afraid to sit in the hurt of having loved a child well. We're not all called to adopt. Drew and I were, um, it was made very clear to us that that is our calling, but we're not all called to bring orphans into our home. We are all called to care and advocate for the fatherless though. Both times we've had people who don't even know us, but they want to be a part of caring for children who need a home. And so they've provided financially, um, they've given clothes. This last time we had somebody buy us a car seat because our, our adoption happened in literally days. And so we didn't have a car seat. And somebody said, by the time you get home, there'll be a car seat on your front porch. We didn't even know these people, but they wanted to be a part of caring for orphans. The reality is foster care is difficult. And um, you need a team of people around you for this to happen. A foster parent cannot just do that on an island. It doesn't work. One of my friends, Amy, she um, really got to know Dennis and had a passion for him. She invested into him. She got to know him. She made sure he was comfortable with her. That's a huge deal. So he felt like she was family. So I felt like I could leave him with her and I could actually have a break when he was with her. I did fall for Dennis very early um, and I got to play a role like a grandma aunt kind of thing with him. He's such a little light and a gift and he's this little, I don't know. I just, I really love him in a way that I can't even logically explain. There are so many kids who need homes and so few families who can actually do that like forever. And so it's overwhelming to look at that. It's overwhelming. Um, and I don't feel like I'm certainly in a place where I could bring a foster child in or adopt. But it's so easy to do this. It's like support staff, you know, like I can come alongside you and it's, it's easy. It really is. And it's like I'm winning in this. Like I'm on the receiving end of, <laughs> of Dennis. There is so much need for support and care and people to be involved and to be able to help that I think that we all need to explore at least some way of interacting with that. And so to have friends who are able to come in and share our vision, share the vision for foster care, the vision for care of these kids who are in such great distress, and to have them share that in such a way that they are wanting to help that this is all of you working together and it's an opportunity for all of you rather than 
somebody having a requirement placed upon them. It makes all the difference in the world. There is always something to do, and I think one of the one of the reasons we've appreciated the Mission Point family so much is they've provided many avenues to live out what God calls us to do for orphans. There's really no excuse um, at Mission Point to not do something because there's been so many avenues provided for the family of God to get engaged. Pretty amazing, huh? Oh man, um, here in a moment, the team is gonna come out with these step into your scene cards, these play your part cards. And uh, even as they're starting to hand these out, you guys can come on down um, and, and pass these out. Grab a pen, we just wanna ask you to respond by filling um, these cards out. Um, in fact, while we do that, let me just let me have a little awkward moment here really quickly. Um, if you've been adopted, you have adopted, you've been in the foster care system, you have taken in um, foster kids, um, curious to have you just stand, if that applies to you. Okay, um, if you're in the process of adopting, yes, yes, yes. You guys can go ahead and have a, have a seat. It is amazing, and honestly, one of the things I thought was so striking about the video and about this visual we just saw is can you imagine if those represented in the video, in the stories, and those standing in the room, if that, that person or the person in their lives had said, well, I can't do everything, so I'm not going to do anything, how different the stories would be, how different the shape of our lives would be. And so I'm so thankful for those of you who have said yes and you've stepped in in a variety of ways. And I realize there are so many more ways than the ways represented, but wanted you to at least get a quick visual of that. So this is just going to give us some sense of, okay, Lord, where do we start as a church? And uh, last year we took some intel and we want to just update um, what we have. So this is just information about you. Um, who are you? And uh, where's your family at? And what's your experience been um, in orphan care and vulnerable child ministry? And so um, we just want you to take a second and look through this, fill this out. And you can see on the screen, you know, your name and then just a variety of things about you. You're considering fostering. Like for me, I filled out my name and in the process of adopting was the one I checked off because our family's in the process, as many of you know, of adopting three girls um, from Haiti. And then down at the bottom, we will. Okay, what are things we are willing to do? What is the part we are willing um, to play? And so for us, we can make, we can deliver meals. We, we can, you know, offer a, a car seat. Um, you know, we can definitely pray for people. And this is just an opportunity for you to say, what will we do? Because again, we believe everyone can do something and would love for you to be able 
to do just that. So even as this card is passing, the band's going to come out, close us in a song while we take the opportunity to fill these cards out. When you fill this out and you've started your ripple and we together as a church have started, uh, you know, to, to let heaven know we're in on this, just drop the card off in the baskets on your way out and you can drop the pens off on the tabletops. There should be a receptacle there. Unless you desperately need a pen, college students, then you can just hang on to it. It's our gift to you. Um, but please fill this out. Team, why don't you guys come on out um, even as I pray. Lord, give us wisdom as we work through this process and as we say yes to stepping um, into our scenes and as we say yes to playing our parts and as we say yes to making a difference in the lives of children as we partner with you, our Father, who made a difference in our lives by sending your Son and rescuing us, including us in your family. Spirit of the living God, Start ripples that this world never recovers from in our hearts, in our lives, in this church, in this community, and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.